I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Thanks for tuning in. Let's have a uh, brief word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. We ask you to be with us, be with our studio audience, be with the viewers at home, that we can reach them with the message of you. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. If you want to watch the show or your friends want to watch the show, they can go to www.bornagainmormon.com and uh, go to streaming video and uh, watch the show right there. Uh, also, I learned that if you have or your friends have DirecTV and you're not able to watch the show on regular cable or broadcast television, you can call DirecTV and re request to have TV20 on their system. I'm not sure that's 100% correct, but give it a go, call them, and I think we can make some inroads in that area. In-house guests tonight, Eric and Melissa, from Santa Cruz, California. Yes, they live in Lehigh, but uh, they also came from Santa Cruz as directed by the Lord. Eric runs a great ministry called One Living Truth Ministries. They're at onelivingtruth.com. If you want to check him out, he has some great podcasts on there. And uh, also we have Reed, a regular now here in our audience. Shout outs to Tom and Leslie Borquist, who I saw on the plane. Tom was the stake president in the LDS church in Huntington Beach when I became a high priest and was put on the stake high council. He's a great guy and his wife. They're wonderful people, and it was nice to see them, so a shout out to them. Okay, an announcement tonight. Beginning tonight and every Tuesday hereafter at 9.30 p.m. until 11.30, Squatter's Pub we're going to have a meet and greet, if you will, and you can show up at Squatter's Pub, which is at 3rd South and 150 West, right in downtown Salt Lake City. If you want to meet face-to-face, -face, go through scripture, talk about any subject. Uh, Squatter's Pub has great food. It uh, serves alcohol. Some of you think I'm a drinker, but I'm not. And, uh, but I'll be drinking Diet Coke, and all are welcome. If you should want to stop by, that's tonight from 9.30 to 11.30, and every Tuesday night thereafter to uh, talk about the Lord and whatever else is going on in your life. Sandy Ridge Community Church will begin this Sunday. In fact, look at our website because I neglected to write down these times, but Sandy Ridge Community Church is beginning this Sunday a uh, series on the Trinity, if you are LDS and you have trouble understanding the Christian's idea of the Trinity, or if you're a Christian, if you just are in the area, Sandy Community, um, Sandy Ridge Community Church with Pastor Travis Mitchell is a great place to be. Go to their website. I'm sure you can see the times when the seminars begin. 
Hard on the Sea, if you're still interested in going on a deep sea fishing trip in August, uh, go to J-E-R-M underscore R-O-B, germ underscore Rob at yahoo.com and, and email him your interest. Want to let you know that Christian Gift and Bible, Benchmark Books and Oasis Books uh, all carry Born Again Mormon moving toward Christian authenticity. If you have an interest in getting that book, you can go to any one of those fine bookstores. I love all of them and uh, the proprietors, and they're a great place to find some good information. You can also get the book at www.bornagainmormon.com, and we can send it to you for free. If you can't afford it, that's no problem. All right, I'm going to start off, and I'm going to take a few moments, uh, actually the rest of my uh, monologue tonight, to discuss some uh, house cleaning items, um, housekeeping items that have come up over the past five weeks that we've discussed the Book of Mormon. Next week, we're going to finish, we're going to have one or two more uh, topics on the Book of Mormon, and then we're going to finish that out. And uh, so I want to begin, and I want to take a look at two uh, conference talks that were delivered at the LDS General Conference um, last, a couple weeks ago here in Salt Lake City. The first one was given by Elder Russell Ballard, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and he gave a speech called The Miracle of the Holy Bible. And I just want to tell you, I found this uh, to be a really good step in helping the Latter-day Saints to appreciate the Bible for what it is. Um, Elder Russell commends the Bible. He claims to embrace it. He, said, he never says anything about the Bible being translated correctly. He doesn't bring that vernacular into the discussion whatsoever, which I appreciated. And the overall places in the Bible, he places the Bible on the same shelf as the Book of Mormon. All right? I think such talks are certainly going to help. Now, we have a choice when the LDS do something like that. We can say, oh, they're being duplicitous. They're trying to trick us. They're trying to pretend that they're Christian, and we can't allow that. Or we can say, wow, that's a great step in the right direction. And so I want to take the, the uh, opinion of it's a great step in the right direction. That Ballard presented some good things. It helped people feel inspired about reading the Bible. It felt uh, the talk made me feel like people could trust the Bible, that the LDS hold the Bible up. I don't think they have in the past. I think their writings prove they haven't in the past. But if this is the direction they're going, I think it's a good one. Unlike uh, a host who I'm going to talk about in a minute who did nothing but uh, attack the Bible when I was on his show, but uh, we'll go uh, into that. One thing I beg to differ with, though, in his talk was that he said... Um, that the Book of Mormon does not dilute or diminish nor de-emphasize the Bible. On the contrary, it expands, extends, and exalts it. And I just simply beg to differ with that. The Bible doesn't need another book to expand or extend or to exalt it. It's God's Word. He spoke it, and it is His infallible Word. Just as the LDS Church does not have two prophets in charge, uh, just as they don't have two bishops in charge of a ward or two stake presidents, uh, uh, they, there's no need for two or three or four books of Scripture. We have the Bible. The Bible is sufficient unto salvation. And I, I look forward to the time when the LDS Church, the Doctrine and Covenants of Pearl of Great Price, they're out the window now, pretty much. I mean, even you know, seminary teachers and institute directors probably aren't even touching that one hardly anymore. So we're, now we're going on the Book of Mormon. That will become um, you know, just a good Christian book, hopefully not inspired and not of... Uh, it has no historicity, and then we can be left with the Bible for what it is. But like I said, in the end, I applaud Elder Ballard for uh, speaking so favorably about the Bible. 
Let me go to the second talk, which I'm not very fond of, and it was by an elder David Bednar of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and it's called, You Must Be Born Again. Now, in talking on being born again, Bednar uses an example of making pickles, and he calls it the parable of the pickle. Now, uh, understand that this is a guy who claims to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the twelve on the earth today, and he delivers a a sermon on the parable of the pickle to describe being born again. And, you know, the LDS have a tradition of many speakers using kind of their life experiences to teach doctrine and theology. I call it the Martha Stewart theology because they, they have like, while I was cleaning the house today, I dusted off the shelf and noticed that as I dusted, the dust fell to the ground. And so the shelf was clean, but the ground was dirty. And so I realized that in my life, I have to dust the shelves. And there's all these uh, kind of sing-song stories that they'll tell. Well, this is what Bednar does, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And the problem was, is it is a disastrous uh, representation of what it means to be born again. And let me explain why. He says, a pickle is a cucumber that has been transformed according to a specific recipe and series of steps. He then lists the specific steps as one, preparing and cleaning the cucumbers. That's the first step. Two, immersing and saturating the cucumbers in brine over an extended period of time. And three, sealing the cured pickles in jars that they might be sterilized and purified. In typical LDS vernacular, Bednard adds, quote, This procedure requires time and cannot be hurried, and none of the essential steps can be ignored or avoided. Let me tell you, this self-proclaimed apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ um, lays out sheer heresy when it comes to understanding the Christian idea of being born again. For example, in speaking of the first phase of being prepared and cleaning of a cucumber, Bednar instead says that we are cleansed of all sins by Jesus. He states, he doesn't say, say that we're cleansed of all sins by Jesus. Bednar states this, quote, You and I can be prepared with the words of faith and of good doctrine and initially cleansed through the ordinances and covenants administered by the authority of the Aaronic priesthood. So he's saying that you're going to be cleansed this cucumber is going to be cleansed by obedience to the ordinances and covenants of an Aaronic priesthood. Okay? He doesn't mention Jesus here in the cleaning process at all. And if we're going to compare ourselves to pick, uh, cucumbers being cleansed for rebirth, he doesn't even say that Jesus cleanses us. He says that it, it happens through uh, ordinances and covenants administered by the authority of the Aaronic priesthood. He goes on to say, quote, The Lord has established a high standard of cleanliness. And, quote, proper preparing and cleaning are the first basic steps in the process of being born again. This religious rhetoric is so far from the biblical mandate of spiritual rebirth. How could, if you could clean yourself up before coming to God, then why do we need Jesus anyway? You just go and you just do all kinds of rituals and you clean yourself up and you're clean. So what's the purpose of Jesus in this process of being ready to go through all these steps uh, to be spiritually reborn? Come to the Lord as you are in your filth. Come as you are in your filth and let him reconcile you to God. 
You cannot prepare yourself for spiritual rebirth. It is given to you by God. And let's remember that the Lord used birth purposefully. Now, I mean, what I mean by saying this is Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He didn't say you must go through a transformation process that's going to take the extended period of your life to be born again. He says you must be born again. And we all know that when a woman has a child, it's an event. It happens. It doesn't last over the lifetime of the woman. It happens just right there. That's spiritual rebirth. That's why Jesus used, used the being reborn as a, a metaphor for what happens to us physically and, I mean, spiritually. So it's ridiculous to say that it's this process. It has all these steps and all these things. Listen, birth is birth, and that's why Jesus talked about it that way. So let's remember that there's no specific or essential steps in spiritual regeneration. Paul was reborn one way, I was reborn in a different way, you will be reborn or have been born in a different way. Everybody experiences it in a unique way that the Lord knows they need to experience it. Forget these processes that uh, Bednar is saying you have to, you have to uh, take. Okay, uh, and speaking of the process, Jesus says to Nicodem- Nicodemus in John 3, 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof but canst not tell whence it comes and whether it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Jesus makes it so metaphysical to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he says, hey, the wind blows. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going, but that's how being spiritually reborn is too. It comes and it happens. It's not according to what you're doing and your uh, setups. It happens that way. Religions want to put Uh, people under their thumbs so that they'll continue to come back and go through all their rituals and rites to keep them active, to keep them pain, to keep them uh, attentive. And that's just not what the Bible says. I find it really interesting that Apostle Bender does not associate the cleansing of our sin with Jesus, but ties it to ordinances. And this is just a shame, and it's not an unimportant difference. All right, the next section of spiritual rebirth that Bednar describes the immersion of brine over a long period of time. It seems to be in line, actually, with what the Word of God teaches. Justified believers and what they do with themselves once they've come to know the Lord. So in, in Christianity, you have the religious experience, the spiritual experience, where you're born again. That's an instant experience and it comes by being justified by the blood of Jesus and if you died then, you are going to be with God in heaven. That, that justification happens like that. But then, we talk about being transformed over the period of life. It has been said to every Christian, there is the miracle of the moment followed by the tasks of a lifetime. I think that's a great description of how Christians view spiritual rebirth. We have the miracle of the moment followed by the tasks of the lifetime. And Bednar, he explains the task process pretty well. I I agreed with him in, in that part. But we have to remember that we can't put the the cart in front of the horse here, all right? The horse has to be spiritual regeneration through faith in Jesus Christ that automatically makes us worthy of standing before God, die then or die 10 years later or whatever. We can't put the cart and say, we gotta, we gotta do all these works and then Jesus kind of steps in and fills up the difference. That's the major difference here with what Bednar is trying to say. Finally, he adds another step in what he calls the parable of the pickle. The sealing of the pickle jars in boiling water. He says, quote, In a similar way, we progressively become purified and sanctified as you and I are washed in the blood of the Lamb, 
are born again and receive the ordinances and honor the covenants that are administered by the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood. So again, the sanctification, according to Bedner, is done by us over the process of a lifetime. And he likens it to pickles being boiled in hot water in their jar and, and cleansing them and sanctifying them. I want you to know that the Bible teaches throughout that we are sanctified. We are justified by Jesus and we're sanctified by Jesus. We do not come to God and say, wow, you know, Jesus saved me, but now look at the good works I've done to help improve my salvation. It doesn't work like that at all. I mean, the good works we do are going to be placed on an altar, they'll be lit on fire, and we're going to see what lasts. Things wood, hay, stubble, they'll burn up and they won't be there, and precious metals will remain. Those are the good works we did because of our love and dedication to the will of the Father. And that's, that's biblical, through and through. So, uh, completely uh, off the mark when it comes to spiritual rebirth. The LDS Church at Bed, as Bed... Bedner affirms here in the pickle parable, attempts to tell us that we progressively become purified and sanctified. Now, it may be true that we progressively do mature in our walk. There's babes in Christ, and there's people who are mature Christians, and we learn step by step has nothing to do with uh, salvation or our spiritual regeneration. Bednar also infers that we are washed and rewashed in the blood of the Lamb. I would uh, say, and this can be disputed, I'm sure, but the scriptures are replete with evidences that uh, we are washed once. In fact, it says in Hebrews 9:12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. This rebirth, this covering of blood is a one-time thing and God sees us through this blood. He sees us through the blood of Jesus. We either are covered or will not. Why would a religion want you to believe that you must renew your rebirth each week through a sacrament? Because it gets you to constantly seek for absolution, never obtaining the rest promised by God. Finally, Bednar says that we must receive the ordinances and honor the covenants that are administered by the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood. My friends, please listen to me here if you're going to listen at all. Jesus gave himself so that you could come to him directly. You do not need an intermediary priest to go into the Holy of Holies and represent you before the Lord. You can come to him directly. The veil was ripped down. It's, it was torn down when Jesus died. And we can go now, enter freely, boldly before the throne of God. Um, Jesus is but a prayer of faith away for you if you don't have him. It's a simple prayer of faith. You don't need to have your bishop or a priest or a pope or anybody else do any kind of intermediation for your salvation. He, through his righteousness, sanctifies you. He, through his suffering and shed blood, justifies you. And all you need to do is go to him in the household of faith and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And he will do that. I turn my life to you. Whatever you want to say, give your heart to him and trust him that he'll do it. Now, I have the Christian view of the parable of the pickle. And this is what it is. And this is how it should have been taught by the apostle of the Lord. Okay? It should have been taught like this. We are all, uh, we have all been in the brine of life and sin. And we are shrunken pickles laying out in a dirt field, covered in warts, we cannot transfer ourselves back to being cucumbers on our own merits. We are lost. We are already just pickled to death by this world. 
And we call out to God and Jesus steps in by his shed blood. And what he does is he transforms us back into the state that we were supposed to be from the beginning, into cucumbers. And he taps us into the vine. And as long as we stay tapped into that vine, we will grow as we were supposed to be. Cucumbers, not processed pickles, not automatons walking around repeating certain things to make ourselves sound good. We are supposed to be cucumbers, not pickles, Brother Bednar. Okay, so that's my, re, uh, that's my rehearsal on Brother Bednar, and I'm sure we're going to get some calls on that one. All right, the Salt Lake um, Tribune headline reported after the LDS conference that, and this is what it says, uh, where are we? Going right here. This is what it says. It says, Mormons, colon, we are Christians. That is the April 2nd, 2007 cover of uh, the religious section of the Salt Lake Tribune. Mormons, we are Christians. I'd like to address that for a second if I could, all right? I know a family in Southern California who own 12 McDonald's restaurants. And this family uh, have, have told me all about the training that they do in restaurants to own them. And the McDonald's manual is an amazing piece of corporate work. And it teaches you how to package, how to prepare. Everything is the same. They've worked very hard building the McDonald's chain. It's worldwide, probably one of the largest franchises in the world. And the McDonald's hamburger and fries, good, good for you or not, are theirs. They own them, okay? Now, what do you think the McDonald's corporation would do if um, somebody said, you know, I think I'm going to make myself McDonald's too? I'm going to open up 10 stands in the Los Angeles area, in the Salt Lake area, and I'm going to call those stands McDonald's. And I'm going to put golden arches on my McDonald's, and I'm going to call my Happy Meal a Happy Meal, my McBurger a McBurger, whatever. Okay? What do you think the McDonald's corporation would do? It would go into that startup and it would say, we want you to know you're not McDonald's. We are McDonald's. We've always been McDonald's. We've paid a hefty price to be McDonald's. Do not come in here and say you're McDonald's too. And the other corporation could say, well, we feel like we're McDonald's and our manual's close to your manual, so we're McDonald's too. I want you to know that no matter how hard they try, they are not McDonald's. Now, the Christian church has existed 1,800 years before Mormonism popped its head up and decided that we needed more books and more rules and more regulations and new salvations and new ways to get to God. The Christian church is filled with millions of people who have given their life. Nero used to wrap Christians up and light them in his garden. We have millions of people who have died for what? They've died for the Bible and they've died for Jesus. They haven't died for a church. They haven't died for a religion. The Christian church has suffered and built and they have their manual, the Bible. And an upstart comes in 1820 and says, we have a new manual and we have new ways and the Christian church has been wrong all along and we're Christian too. Now if, if the, the Jehovah's Witnesses came in and said, you know what? We're going to change our name from Jehovah's Witnesses to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'll tell you right now that the uh, Salt Lake headquarters will be down with lawsuits like you can't believe quicker than you can believe. So other people can't call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Other people can't call themselves Mormon. But, but Latter-day Saints think they have the right to turn around and say, we are Christians. I'm sorry. You're not. You are not because you don't follow the biblical edicts, the manual that Christians have given their lives for that says what it means to be a Christian. You followed the manual some parts and you followed Joseph and other things in addition. Okay, so I had to bring that out when you look at um, titles like that. 
All right, fourth. Whoo. We had a radio uh, podcast with a host here in Salt Lake City, and you can get that on our website if you want to listen to it. And the host made several statement, made several comments on statements I made, and he said that they were unfounded. In fact, he used the words, I don't believe you, when I made these statements. The first had to do with the LDS uh, version of the Bible. I said that it was the King James Version, and we went off into some long, ridiculous argument uh, that ended in nothing. But I just want to read a quote from the Church News dated November 16, 1974. This is in the hearts of the LDS, and it says, quote, The presiding brethren urged the use of the King James Version of the Bible, which is the official Bible of the Church. Okay, so I had this guy saying, it's really not, it's really not, and he's doing the song and dance, but I just want you, want you to know here, if you're listening to the podcast, that that's uh, the truth. The second statement I made was that uh, the Sabbath day in the Old Testament says that you cannot bear a burden. I didn't have my Bible with me, but I said it somewhere in Jeremiah. He said, I don't believe you. Get out your Bible and show me. Well, I didn't have the time or inclination to look it up, but I said it's probably somewhere in Jeremiah. He said it's not. So I just want you to read Jeremiah 17:21. Thus saith the Lord... Okay, this is not just some passerby saying some addendum to the scripture. It's thus saith the Lord, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in the gates of Jerusalem. Okay, you don't bear burdens on the Sabbath day, uh, Mr. Host. Finally, in defense of Joseph Smith's practice of secret polygamy, the host stated that there was no proof the founding prophet had sexual relationships with these wives that he brought in as uh, additional polygamous spouses. And my response was, what is wrong with a sexual relationship with someone who's uh, your bride, especially if God told you to make them your bride? So the church today is defending uh, Joseph Smith's polygamy by saying, we don't have proof that he slept with any of these teenage girls. So therefore, you know, and I'm trying to figure out why that would be the thing to uh, focus on. Would that make him more pure that he took wives unto himself as teenagers, that he didn't sleep with them? Sexual intimacy is fine within a marriage. That's why you, it's one of the reasons you get married. So I don't understand that logic and reasoning that the LDS are using as a defense to show that Joseph may have practiced polygamy, and we know that he did, uh, 33 polygamous marriages that we know of definitively, and we'll talk about those later, but that uh, he also consummated many of those, and we think that the evidence shows that too. And if you're going to marry somebody by God, you're going to consummate the marriage. The LDS seems to think that that's the thing that we don't look at. So, All right, in the next few months, we're going to examine uh, plural marriage, and the next two weeks, we're going to continue to examine the Book of Mormon and then move on. All right, fifth, I want to say something about anger. Um, I get a lot of responses, calls of people, emails, people saying, you look angry when you're talking. Uh, anger is not of the Lord. Christians and LDS say the same thing. And I want to read this to you. Uh, talking about John 2, 15, 17, quote, Jesus looked on them in anger, end quote. And the author says, righteous wrath is no less noble than love since both coexist in God. Each necessitates the other. It was Jesus' love for the man with the withered hand that aroused his anger against those who would deny healing him. That's Mark 3, 5. It was his love for his father and zeal for his glory that kindled his anger against the mercenary traders who had turned his house of prayer of for all nations into a cave of robbers. Great leaders who have turned the tides in days of national and spiritual declension have been men who could get angry at the injustices and abuses which dishonor God and enslave men. 
It was righteous anger against the heartless slave traders that caused, caused Wilberforce to move heaven and earth for the emancipation of slaves. F.W. Robertson was similarly stirred by righteous anger on one occasion. Describing his reaction, he said, quote, My blood was at the moment running fire, and I remembered that once in my life I had felt a terrible might. I knew and rejoiced to know that I was inflicting the sentence of a coward's and a liar's hell. Martin Luther claimed that he, quote, never did anything well until his wrath was excited, and then he could do anything well. I want you to know that I'm angry at the fallout of this legalistic system in the lives of my brothers and sisters. And yeah, I still call them my brothers and sisters. And when people call and they do that, I really believe it's just righteous indignation. I'm not angry at you. If you were LDS, like I said, I'd sit with you and talk with you. I'd give you the shirt off my back if you needed help. But I will fight tooth and nail on the Bible versus Mormonism. And if you see that come out in my face, well, too bad. All right, uh, let's see. Not that. Okay, uh, where are we doing on time? I don't have the mic o'clock. Let's go to some emails I've set aside somewhere. We're going to calls. We'll go, let's go to calls because I don't know where I put the emails. I have a stack of them. If someone wants to look in the office and let's go to um, calls, which I can't read because the mic o'clock's off. Do we have any calls? In fact, our phone lines appear to be dead. So let's go to reading uh, some, one email that I have here. This is from Jared Morris who says, oh sorry, Jared M. Gosh. Your little movement is entertaining to say the least. Sean, you believe in a false God and yes, we will find out in the end when Jesus says to you, depart from me ye cursed. Jesus alone, huh? I'll have to reread the entire Bible to find that one. The way you want to look, uh, Jared, is where it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The I and the me mean Jesus alone. And, uh, and so hopefully that helps. That is representative of probably 50 emails that we get saying that our little movement is not doing anything to stop the true church of, of God. Okay, the next one. Let's see here. Okay, nope. All right, we have a quote uh, from Alan Artisan that says, Sean, I heard you say the Bible has no problems. Maybe I misunderstood you because there are really many contradictions, deletions, additions, and mistranslations. Here's one, for example. Isaiah 45.7 says, God created evil. Oh, not going to believe the Bible because it says God created evil. We look at the Hebrew translation of the word evil and it's rach. And that rach means, uh, it means uh, he created disturbances, he created sadness, he created harm, he created grievances. And if you look through the Bible, you'll see plenty of places where God did create evil and those uh, harmful substances. The problem I have with this email is we want to build an entire structure on something that you read in the English and you think that it's a good translation for you to, to uh, attack the Bible on. Uh, I want to say, like I said on that podcast, Latter-day Saints... Like Elder Ballard said, don't attack the Bible. Read the Bible, see what it says, and see how it meshes with your beliefs in Mormonism. All right. We're going to Cindy and Logan on line two. Cindy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking my call. I am so glad you addressed the uh, 
Mormons think they're Christians. Oh, good. It, it was uh, long overdue. <laughs> I, I fight this battle all the time. I, um, I think it's interesting, if you look back in the church history, you'll see that back when Joseph Smith said that the Christian church was an abomination, yeah. and then you can go back to uh, Woodruff, who said that Christians were whoremongers. Wow. And I think, you know, it started, all the different uh, prophets have had different things to rip on the Christians, but yet they want to be called Christians. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of troubling that they want to be called Christians. And, you know, I always have this little um, saying that I say to my friends that if you guys are Christians, then I'm a Mormon, and I'm not a Mormon. That's a good one. So basically, you can't have it both ways. That's excellent, Cindy. So I just uh, just wanted to make that comment, and you, I love what you're doing, and I'm glad you're on the air, and you're making a big difference in the world. Thanks so much. God bless you. Thank you, Sean. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, uh, I, kind of, I kind of sense as I read through church history that this is what the LDS Church has done. What they've done is they built their church initially on being different from the Christian church, and they pulled from people who were disaffected from... Uh, uh, all walks of life back in burned over district. They created a core group and they maintained an us versus them mentality until now they're big enough and strong enough where they're turning the tables and they're trying to say, hey, we're just like you to bring in more and more. And I think that's what's going on. Also want to tell you that um, this talk of hate speech, someone went around and put DVDs on a bunch of doors here in Salt Lake in Utah about Jesus versus Joseph. And the LDS Church said this was hate speech. Hate speech. They can knock on our doors. They can go and spread their gospel that the church fell away completely, that all churches are an abomination. That's not hate speech. They're preaching the truth. But they get a little DVD that compares Jesus and Joseph, and suddenly it's hate speech. It's a perfect game they play. They love persecution. They take this as persecution. It's not persecution. Persecution would mean me to say, kill the Mormons. I would never say that. My wife and kids are Mormon. My, my mother's Mormon. Why would I say that? This is not persecution. This is just comparing what the Bible says with what the Mormon church teaches secretly and now a little bit in the open. All right, we are going to Don on line one. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Don? Yes. You are on the air, my friend. Well, how are you? Hmm. Good. I'm good. We have a lot of chaos going on, but I'm doing well. Good. How, how about you? Um, is your TV on? It is. Yeah, you got to turn that off or you're going to listen to yourself in reverb land. Well, it's off. Okay. Ask your question. Well, um, you said something earlier about the, like seminary teachers and stuff not using the Doctrine and Covenants or the Pearl of Great Price anymore. No, I didn't say seminary teachers. I said that the, the more and more they're, uh, oh yeah, seminary teachers and institute directors, the Pearl of Great Price. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just wondering what you meant, because I have a hard time with the, on LDS, and I have a hard time with the Doctrine and Covenants. I don't believe in it. Yeah. That's a major disbelief, Don. I know. Yeah. Have you uh, ever looked at people who just teach the Bible? Um, well, when I was young, I pretty much have gone, like, to the Jehovah Witness. I've been the Baptist and the Pentecostal Church. And uh-huh. Uh, where do you live now? I'm in Farmington. Uh, do we know a church, Farmington? What? Go to our website, but I think you ought to try a Christian church. If you don't believe the Doctrine and Covenants, that's like Joseph Smith's, uh, you know, 
magnum opus to uh, Revelation. And, you know, stalwart Mormons love that thing. Um, and as we've been talking about, the Book of Mormon is pretty much just a borrowing from the Bible. So it's a Christian book in, in essence with a false history. So if you believe the Bible and you're okay with the Book of Mormon, you might want to check out a Christian church because you're going to find true Christianity um, preached there. Elevation is close in Layton if you want to check them out. Elevation? Yeah, Elevation Church. You might want to try them out. Go to our website and you'll be able, you'll be able to get their meeting times and stuff. Okay, and I had a other comment about the um, anger and stuff. I, I watch you. I have been watching for about a year. Uh-huh. And um, the thing that amazes me, since I am LDS, it does amaze me that these people call in that are LDS and they get very angry. Uh-huh. And um, I just think back on the Bible when Jesus went into the temple and saw the, the money changers and stuff doing all sorts of sin, and he got angry actually knock tables over and things like that. So if you're passionate about what you believe in and you feel that way, you should be able to have some type of emotion coming out without actually hating somebody. Yeah, you're right. And that's a a really good way to put it, without hating them, because I really don't hate hate anybody. Uh, But I do hate what some things do to other people. So a good clarification, Don. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You have a good night. Same to you. Bye-bye. We're going to Michael in Farmington on line three. Mark, Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Hey, uh, first time caller. Love your show. Thank you. Okay. Uh, quick question for you. Um, guy at work asked me a question you know, over there in the war in Iraq. Yeah. How can these people kill somebody? What kind of God do they believe in? And my answer to him was from the readings that I had, that the Christians, the Jews, the Muslims all believe in the same God. They just have a different prophet. Was I leading him astray? I think that's a really good answer. I, I like that answer. I mean, God is God, and, and people reach out to him the way they can. But, uh, you know, I think Jesus was, uh, I mean, of course, the Savior and God in the flesh, but he was a prophet, too. He's called a prophet. And, uh, you know, absolutely, that's a really good way. They have Muhammad, and we have Christ, and... Uh, which one uh, gave his life for the people, you know? Yep. So, excellent. I think that's a good comment. Way to go. I guess, I guess the comment I'd have on it is that when you have a prophet that tells you to kill somebody, it's probably a false prophet. Yeah, probably. And when we get to Mountain Meadows Massacre in Brigham Young, that's going to be fun. Okay, great. All right, brother, thanks. Excellent show, man. Uh, thank you so much. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Ryan uh, in Provo. Ryan, you're on Heart of the Matter. You gotta turn your TV down, Ryan. What's happening? Uh, you gotta turn your TV down. Turn the TV down. What's happening with you, Sean? Man, I just first and foremost, I want to say uh, God bless you for everything you've done. Um, your show is great. I Thanks. just got out of prison myself, and and um, I did a lot of reading when I was in there. And you just barely touched over the Sabbath day, <clears throat> and I and I wanted to refer to Daniel, and then Daniel it says it says uh. One of the mark of the beast would be to change times and law, and and changing times and law refers. I would think that it refers to the the Ten Commandments and the, the Fourth Commandment in specific, um, the Sabbath day. And I and, and I always thought it was Saturday. Yet Christians and Mormons they both go to church on Sunday, and that's the seventh day. Is, can you can you kind of you know clear this up a little bit? You know what? The, uh, uh, next this coming. Um Friday at 8.30, 9 
No, no, no. This coming Monday at 9.30, we do an entire show on the Sabbath day. It's on this channel at 9.30. Watch that, and then we can go through that again, because that's a huge subject, but it's really good insight you have. Watch it, and then call us back. Uh, do you have email? I don't. Like I said, I just got out of, I just got out of joint. Yeah? Are you uh, a Christian? I am. I'm born again. Well, good. Are you going to stay out of the joint? Yes. Yeah, so like I said, I just, I just, I've been out probably about 10 days. I I just started a job on my framer, just working hard every day. I, I just recently had a son, too. He's three months old. <clears throat> Doing good out here. Awesome, man. Thanks for the call. Keep going, brother, and find a good church. Okay, I, yeah, I am, and I'll tune in. You said 9.30 Thursday, right? No, 9.30 on Monday. On Monday, okay. Yep. Okay, thanks. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to lay Larry in Taylorsville on line two. Larry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I was uh, wondering if you could address um, an issue. I talk to uh, LDS people frequently, and but Christians as well, um, who believe that the church is just a good place to raise a family. Yeah. And I was just wondering if you could address that and let me know kind of what you think Jesus would say on the matter. Yeah. You know, my parents, uh, that's the reason they joined the Mormon church, and that's one of the reasons uh, my dad stayed in it as long as he did was that it was a great structure to raise their young family. And uh, I think a lot of Latter-day Saints stay in it because when they look around sometimes at uh, Christian churches, they see that the programs of the LDS church are superior for the youth. And, uh, and so that's just something that you have when you have uh, some totalistic methodologies that are thrown in there and help people control people. It gets messy when you're a little bit more liberal and free. And so the LDS church does a good job, I think, at uh, helping people regenerate in their soul, meaning helping them uh, live Christian principles. Um, my argument with them is that they just don't teach Jesus who leads them into the real regeneration and the ability to truly follow those principles uh, out of love. That's my argument, but I think, as, I think there's, the LDS in this community have a good uh, response in many ways that they do a good job at, at raising kids. I would be lying if I said they don't. I think they do, and I think the Christian community can look at them and, and learn some things from the LDS church. Did I bore you? Uh, no, no, I just, <laughs> well, if you're done. I, I agree, and I think that, uh, that they do an excellent job, and if, you, if it's just about this life, well, then that's probably a really good way to go, especially. In this sure, life. sure. But, and I, I, people ask often in emails, do you think the uh, brethren know the truth of the Mormon church? And I honestly believe, maybe some do and some don't, but I honestly believe they think they have the best thing out there. They don't care if it's right or wrong, if the history's right or wrong, even if the Book of Mormon, I really believe they, they think they offer the best thing out there, and that's just humanist thinking, because God offers the best thing out there. A relationship with Jesus is the best thing out there, and I really think they put that aside and say, let's let the church be your guide, follow the prophet, you know, and I think that's where they greatly err. Yeah, I, I think that uh, my kids have benefited from the Christian church that I go to. Good. However, um, I, I think in this lifetime, it's fairly trivial compared to eternity. And yeah. That's where the benefit comes. Yeah, I would agree, and that's a really good point. Excellent call, man. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right, we are going to Carl in Salt Lake. Carl, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. What's going on, man? How you doing? Pretty good. What are you up to? Mm. Just talking to you. <laughs> nice. 
Hey, I just had a comment on uh, one of your callers uh, last week. Uh, saw you kick ass. You're a musty clam. Yes! He was sounding so, so honest. I was actually becoming his friend. And this time he really took me. Carl from Salt Lake's good. Usually he gives us uh, some false funny name. Carl from Salt Lake. Someday we're going to meet. Hopefully it's in a dark alley. And I'll pummel you into the ground. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right, let's go to Ray on, uh, from Murray on line four. Ray, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, hi, I was wondering if you could uh, comment on uh, the suicide statistics in Utah and how it, uh, the LDS culture might relate to that. You know what? Uh, this is a good co uh, question, Ray, because when I did a, a, a search through all the information and the report, um, the suicide rate statistically uh, compared to the U.S. Uh, is uh, below the U.S. average. And so um, people like to believe that the suicide rate among the youth in Utah is higher. It's just not the, the case from what I've read. What is the case, however, as far as statistics go, is the use of pornography in Utah is through the roof. The use of, of uh, Prozac and other uh, antidepressants is through the roof. So we know that, that those two things are indicative of a problem. I think even a greater problem, but teen suicide, I really did search, I tried. In fact, I, I really tried to find that that was a true fact and I just couldn't. If, if I'm wrong, please email me or send it to me and show me, but I just don't think it's a fact. Okay, yeah, my understanding is the overall suicide rate is, is what you're stating, but the uh, youth suicide rate ages 15 to 19 is highest in the nation. Wow, you know what, if you have that, I will gladly talk about that, but I just, I couldn't find that. I looked for youth too, but I couldn't find anything verifiable on that one. Well, thank you very much. All right, let me know. Will you email me? Sure. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. We're going to Ray in Salt Lake City on line three. Ray, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay, man. I just wanted to let you know that uh, you're my Christian brother, and I love you. And I just wanted to tell you something else, man. This is how the argument breaks down, okay? All right. If you're LDS, <laughs> okay, this is one thing I've learned, and this is one thing they can't argue with. Their whole religion is based upon... Joseph Smith said so. You're right. <laughs> you know, it's just like uh, Joseph Smith said the Bible was wrong, so it must be true. Joseph Smith said he was a prophet, so it must be true. Joseph Smith said that, uh, well, what else did he say? That, uh, oh, he saw God, so it has to be true. Never mind that Moses couldn't even look at God. Right. Joseph Smith, this little 14-year-old kid, saw God because he was, you know, praying in some field or whatever, and I don't know, maybe he was on shrooms or something like that, but... Uh, I just think it's rather hilarious, and they can all, they, they refuse to hear that. You know, yeah. no matter what you tell them, it's just like, oh, I don't know. It's just yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. Thanks, man. Oh, you're welcome, my friend, and keep up the good work. All right, take care. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. We're going to Brad the Agnostic in Lehigh. Brad the Agnostic, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, Brad the Agnostic. Yeah, hi, Sean. How are you? Yeah, I'm my second time on your show. Um, I was. I guess I'm going to go out on a limb and defend, uh, kind of defend the LDS Church, even though they burned me. But um, why is it so? If Mormons um, can't call themselves Christians because they call themselves Mormons, then what about Catholics? What about Catholics? Can a Catholic well, be a Christian? Or is that what you're asking? Yeah, I'm asking, 
Well, aren't Catholics Christians? Yeah, you see, this is the thing, uh, Brad. I think that you're not going to find a denomination called the Christian denomination. I think you're going to find people who are Christians. So there's Catholics who are Christians. There's Latter-day Saints who are Christians. There, is, there are Jews who are Christians. Christians is the title of a person's state relative to God through Christ. Okay? But when a denomination stands up and claims, we're Christian, that's fine as long as their doctrines follow uh, what Christianity is. So when I say Mormonism is not Christian, I'm talking about Mormon doctrine. I'm not talking about every single Mormon. When I say Catholic, Catholicism as a whole is not Christian, I'm talking about Catholicism as a whole. First Pope to today. All right? I'm not talking about individual Catholics. Well, um, okay. You still there? Does that help? Yeah. Um, to an extent, but, uh, to an extent, but there's different, like, there's differences between, in theology, between differences in theology and doctrine and dogma. It doesn't mean that whether they're Methodist, Presbyterian, Calvinist, or whatnot, it doesn't mean that they all don't live by a Christian ethic. Yeah, the Christian ethic doesn't save anybody, though, and that's the thing. People, people misinterpret and think that their Christian ethic is what makes them good Christians or, or Christian in the first place. What makes you a Christian is the imperative Jesus gave. You must be born again. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth, and He is the way, the truth, and the life. When it's those things are there, then you know that a person's right on track of being, quote-unquote, a Christian. But, you know, when they start throwing in other things, that you also have to do this, and you also have to pray to this person, or you also have to do this ritual in order to get to heaven, too, then you start running into problems. Yeah, but Mormons don't end their prayers in the name of Joseph Smith, or in the name of Brigham Young. I'm not saying their prayers don't go to God. Uh, this isn't about prayer. It's whether they have the right to call themselves Christian. If we look at the body of evidence, it's just virtually impossible. And yet, they, they're trying to continue to perpetrate that, and I just, I just refuse to acquiesce. It's just not right. Mormonism, not Mormons. Does that help? That's a kind, well, I, I, um, I, know, I guess I'm going to have to debate you next week. All right, call, uh, email me. It's better. But, uh, you said some, it being virtually impossible, that's kind of an arbitrary statement. Well, I'm an arbitrary guy. Doesn't seem very... I don't Scientific? say that arbitrarily if it's virtually <laughs> impossible. All right, man, i got to keep it moving. Thank you. All right, I guess I'll call you next week or the following week. God bless you. And I'll bug you about something else. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Jill, first-time caller in Salt Lake. Jill, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, yes. Um... I actually am LDS. Hi, actually LDS, Jill. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm here from California. Oh, wow. Whereabouts? The Sacramento area. Santa Cruz area. Sacramento area. All right. Yeah. And I obviously have just turned on your show, never seen it before. Uh-huh. And I just feel really sad that mm -hmm. you and your general audience don't look at our church being called the Church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that we are Christians. Of Latter-day Saints. Follow, we follow Christ and his, his church the way it was when Christ was on the earth. Really? Yeah. Will you answer a question for me? Sure. Okay. When Christ was on the earth, did he have a new and everlasting covenant? Absolutely. He did. Where was that perpetrated? Where do we read about that? 
Were there not temples in Christ's time? You think what they did in the temples at Christ's time is what you do in your temples today? Are you under that belief? Uh, yes. Okay, Jill, then this is perfect. This call is perfect, and I'm glad we got it on, on air. Because if you go and you do any limited research on what was done in the temples, you'll see that it was a building constructed of three separate rooms. Right. And in the Holy of Holies, one time a year, the high priest went in after being cleansed and purified, would go in and offer blood and put it on the horns of the, of the corners of the altar, and they would do sacrifices outside. They had the, lay, uh, the uh, laver. You're, what you are saying is so contrary. Wait a, minute, wait a minute, but you're talking about sacrifices made before the crucifixion of the Savior. Isn't that when the temple you were talking about that Jesus was in? Before Christ, yes, but before Christ was crucified, sacrifices were the law of Moses. Okay, so what you're saying that the new and everlasting covenant existed in the time of Jesus and that they did the same thing in the temples there. You're not saying that now? But we don't we don't offer sacrifices because sacrifice sacrifice ended with the with the sacrifice of the Savior. Okay, so now what do you do? Of Moses. Now what do you do? But we make covenants the same that they did then. They made covenants just like Abraham made covenants. They, they didn't make covenants in the temple. Where do you get this? Abraham made covenants with... Abraham didn't do that in a temple. And the covenant was made by God when he split the animal in half. And God walked between the halves, but, not Abraham. But Abraham made covenants with the Lord. And that has nothing to do with the temple. Let's stay on the temple topic. I'm talking what? about we're making covenants. Okay, making covenants is fine, but you said that you go to temples to make covenants. Right. They did not make covenants in the temples of old. There was one temple, by the way, and it was on Mount Moriah. There was a veil that was ripped in half when Jesus died. You guys put the veil back up. You feel sorry. You should read about what, um, what the whole Masonic influence was on Joseph Smith to come up with the thing you're following. Well, there's no well, Jill. I'm sorry. You can oh. feel sorry for me, but I want to tell you, you're not dealing with facts. Do you believe in Abraham and Moses being prophets? Sure. How do you, why do you believe them? Because it says it in the Word of God. Because it's in the Bible and because somebody said so? No, because it says it in the Word of God. Because it says it in the Bible, right? Yeah, but, okay. that's the Word of God, yes. Right, exactly, and I agree. I believe that the Bible is the Word of God, absolutely. Uh -huh. Really? I don't understand why it's so impossible to believe that we had prophets back, you know. What does Hebrews 11 uh, 1 say? What does it say about prophets today? Read that. Read what Hebrews 1.11 says. No, 11.1. What does it say? God in past times spake unto the, uh, the prophets. We agree with that. But today he speaks to us through his son. There's no prophets anymore. It says in John that, that, that Jesus fulfilled... Why do you speak through prophets back in the old days and not speak through prophets today? Why because would... Jesus came and fulfilled the law and the prophets. It says that in John. Why would the Savior change? Why would he speak through prophets in old days and not speak through prophets? Okay, why would he demand circumcision of a man's male member in the old days but not today? That was, in, that was a Jewish tradition. Okay, and speaking through the uh, prophets was to the Jews. Jesus came and he spoke to the Jews. But when we come back, we're in the dispensation of grace. When the Holy Spirit came, why would you need a prophet when the Holy Spirit came at the day of Pentecost? I believe that the, that, that the Spirit can speak to me, absolutely. Okay, so why do you need a prophet? Because he speaks to the world in, in general and tells the world what we need to do, just like the prophets of old did. Jesus isn't the one who guides you, and the Holy Spirit testifying of him, and you know what you need to do? I would like a church where the, where the prophet, where the leader is inspired by the Holy Ghost, the same one that came at Pentecost, and not one who pretends to be a, a Moses or a... The, Why did the Israelites need a prophet? Why did they need Moses? Why did they need Abraham? 
you know, why, why was the person? Because they were, they, the Holy Spirit and Jesus had not come. The law and the prophets pointed to Jesus. Right. Okay. And they, and, and they talked about his coming. Their purpose was to guide the children of Israel. But when Jesus died on the cross and day of Pentecost, 50 days later comes, the Holy Ghost comes down. That is the church. Then why do so many religions teach so many different things? If the Spirit, if the Spirit is teaching everyone, then why are there so many different religions out there being taught? Okay, Jill, I didn't say the Spirit is teaching everyone. I'm saying that the Spirit comes and it teaches all truth and that regenerated believers are led by that Spirit. I, you're right. You're absolutely right. I will agree with you on that point. Okay. I hope that someday you oh. will have that. Is this a summary statement that you're going to give me, Jill? Listen. If you do the reading and you do the research before calling a show like uh, this, I don't think you've done the reading, my sister. Have I? Have you? No. Okay. True. Okay, you know this is perfect, Jill. The summary of the knowledge. Read our watch our show on epistemology. Watch our show about knowing, Jill, and what it says in the scriptures about knowing. Well, okay. I know in my heart. Because you know in your heart. Okay. What What about the Jehovah's Witness that knows in their heart? What about the Muslim that knows in their heart? What I, about the atheist that knows in their heart? I believe that everyone has a different degree of feeling of the Spirit. Okay, you believe that. That's fine. And that's why our church teaches, you know, yes, we, we love all religious people. And oh, of course you do. You're so magnanimous. Except only those who have gone through the temple get to go to the celestial kingdom. The rest of them will not be able to live with God. I love that one for a group that just that's, loves all other religions. That is not, that's not taught that, in the church. That is absolutely not taught. That is absolutely true. That you, that, Jill, this is not right for you to say it's not taught. I, you know that unless you are sealed, you know that unless you've had the new and everlasting covenant, that you cannot live with God again. Read your doctrine and covenant. I do. I absolutely Okay, do. read it again because you're not being fair right now. Now you're starting to go down a line that is just to, to, to win an argument. You know that you have to be sealed, and you know you have to have the new and everlasting covenant to live with God the Father after this life. You're absolutely right, but what I'm saying is... I'm absolutely right. You said that really fast. Say that one more time. What well, I'm saying is that people have died before they've had that opportunity, and that's why we have the temples too. But they still have to accept the new and everlasting covenant and the sealing, right? Right, absolutely. Okay, well, you have got a different gospel, my sister, and you need to read up on your church before you make declarative I, statements. I have, and I, I just... You just know in your heart. Jill, it's a great call. we got to move. we only got 46 seconds. Okay. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Maybe that will get Jill to look into something more. Maybe she'll start to question. I don't know. You know, that's why we do this. We stir it up. We try to get you to think, you know, how wrong can you go by saying, I place all my faith and trust in Jesus for my salvation. If you're going to die, let me tell you, if I die and Jesus says, what did you do for me? I trusted in you. Did you do any works? I trusted in you. Did you, did you do this or that or this or that? I trusted in you because that's what you told me to do, Lord. That's what you told me to do. How can you go wrong with that? But you can go really wrong trusting a man, other books, other gospels, and new and everlasting covenants. We'll see you next week as we continue on with the Book of Mormon.